Before you settle in to watch today's episode, I mean, listen to it, two quick things I'm editing in post. One, hey, I had a thousand downloads before the anniversary. Thank you all for continuing to follow the podcast. Second off, I also recently made a guest appearance on the Yet Another Final Fantasy podcast hosted by Antonin Januska. He does basically the same thing I'm doing here, but for the Final Fantasy series, and he's producing a great podcast, and I just happen to be a mega nerd about Final Fantasy V, so I was on there for his summary episode for it. This was a couple weeks ago now, but the episode link will be down in the description if you want to go check it out. Anyway, without further ado, enjoy this disaster. Today's episode is brought to you by the pyramids. Oh, wait, sh- I've done this intro before. Um, um, the ancient Mayan and Incan pyramids. No aliens involved this time. Uh, okay, that's a lie. Listen, when I did the Mega Man 5 episode, I didn't know that we would be dealing with aliens that literally did build a pyramid. <laughs> Ladies, gentlemen, and not applicables of the audience, I can't make this shit up. It's 1998 Super Adventure Rockman on today's episode of What Am I Podcasting For? Hello, and welcome to What Am I Podcasting For? My name's Carlisle, and this show is the chronicle of my attempt to play through the entire Mega Man series, from Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 11, and as many of the 100-plus games in between as I can manage. Today, we're tackling a Japan-only release, and it was Japan-only for some pretty good reasons. Super Adventure Rockman was a very experimental Mega Man title. Presumably, the Rockman team had been experimenting with, like, little anime clips during Mega Man 8 and other games, and was realizing, hey, we have a CD-based medium, we can just make a whole game out of this, can't we? So they did that. More or less, Super Adventure Rockman is an FMV game with a little bit of pseudo-lightgun shooter-type mechanics. FMV games being a mostly defunct genre of game, in which the majority of the game just focused on watching completely pre-rendered video. Originally, this was largely just recordings of, like, actual movie clips and stuff as they acted something out, and you might have an interactive part where, like, you choose a decision that a major character makes or some other method of interaction. Titles like Sewer Shark or The Legendary Night Trap, which was famously the game that was responsible for the creation of the ESRB, the ratings board, because of the fact that it sort of depicted violence, like very off-screen violence generally, but sort of depicted violence against real people, and that skewed people out at the time. Super Adventure Rockman is not using real actors and real people, though that would have been interesting. Amusingly, though, and fittingly for the genre, it is a little bit more violent than traditional, and we'll get back to that. Super Adventure Rockman is the first multi-disc game in the Mega Man franchise, and almost one of the only ones that it has. And each disc in this game was essentially designed to be like an episode of an anime, so to speak. It takes roughly 30 minutes, fittingly, 
to play through an entire episode, assuming you don't die. Once you finish a given episode, you can use the save file from the end of the episode to load into the start of the next episode, the next disc, and maintain everything that you found up to that point as you play through that second or third episode. Or you can just play the episodes individually, which, I mean, is doable, but... Uh. Anyway, the gameplay of this game, we'll cover this all now, because honestly, going through the events of this game as the story is going to be the majority of this episode. The gameplay of this game is split between two different styles. In the FMV-style cutscenes, you are watching cutscenes, and you can't skip them, by the way, so that is a bit of a thing if you want to replay this game. On occasion, you will either be prompted to make a decision between, like, oh, let's go left at this fork, or let's go right, or like, yeah, let's pick a fight with this robot master versus let's not. And the full consequences of your decisions are oftentimes not going to be obvious. Certain times, picking certain directions may cause you to get into additional fights or be able to skip those additional fights. Sometimes you might find power-ups or like, the game has a database system that you fill out with information cards that you find that like, I literally couldn't even figure out how to access it in-game, I'll admit. I'm not a native Japanese speaker, or especially native Japanese reader, and this game is very poorly documented online. But supposedly it helps you discover boss weaknesses and stuff, but we'll come back to that. Of course, not every choice in these FMV sequences is one that you get to just pause and think through and make your decision. Sometimes there are basically quick time events where an arrow will flash somewhere on the screen and you have the choice to either hit an applicable arrow direction on your D-pad within the roughly three second window it gives you, you know, just to make sure you're awake and paying attention, or you can choose to not hit it. And for the most part, hitting these is a good idea. This is how you avoid taking extra damage from, like, certain attacks that are coming at you in cinematics when bosses ambush you and stuff. There is one or two points in the game where not hitting a direction is actually, like, a preferable choice, believe it or not. The good news is that there isn't really any time in this game where making a choice screws you completely. If you have really low health left over, it might cause a game over if you end up taking some damage, but there are constant save points throughout this. Pretty much any time that you finish a battle sequence, which we'll get into, you're given the opportunity to save. But there is no, like, alternative bad end unless you manually choose to give up at a couple specific points. The game is fairly linear overall in terms of the impact of its choices. No matter what, you are playing basically the same story. It's not like you're going to branch out and accidentally, like, prevent yourself from getting some good ending or, like, make an episode unfinishable or anything like that. That doesn't happen here. So the idea behind all these different branching results of your choices is just to sort of encourage replayability, I guess. But even then, most of the time, the game forgets to actually have significant differences. Anyway. Once we actually encounter an enemy in these FMV modes, the game will switch over to its battle mode. The battle mode is a first-person view. You are able to basically see through Mega Man's eyes, and you get a targeting reticle that you move with the control stick or the control pad, and you can mash the fire button to fire your buster. 
You can also tab off to any other weapons you may have picked up. After certain fights, you will be awarded like spare energy tanks and weapon tanks that you can use from the menu as well. But for the most part, the basic idea is that it's kind of a light gun shooter. The enemies are going to dance around in front of you and attack and stuff, and you don't have to worry about moving or dodging because you can't. You don't have a look around system either. It's a fixed view of the screen. The way you defend yourself is to shoot down incoming enemy attacks or to pelt robot masters with enough damage as they're like jumping in for a melee attack that you manage to dissuade them and like knock them out of the animation. About half the fights in this game are with different robot masters from Mega Man 2 or Mega Man 3. The roughly other half of the fights in this game are with waves of various familiar enemies from previous Mega Man games, oftentimes given some new patterns and stuff. I will hand it to this game, it has a decent variety of encounters in it. Now, a lot of the bosses are just like, oh, dash around the screen and kind of fire projectiles and stuff, and sometimes the enemy patterns are kind of like that too, but everything does does have its own distinct patterns to learn and recognize and get used to, and there are a couple boss fights that are actually, like, kind of interesting. Like, Shadow Man and Gemini Man will create fake clones of themselves when you fight them, or, like, when you fight Snake Man, he hides behind rocks at the sides of the screen and becomes very difficult to hit, unless you blow up those rocks with the crash bomb that you would have gotten from the boss fight right before him, and then his pattern has to change completely as he, like, dives in and out of the ground. The game is isn't super deep or anything, and I will say straight up, later in the game it becomes really, really button mashy. The further that you get in this game, the more projectiles enemies are throwing that you need to shoot down, and like the more and more and more and more health starts to show up, especially on the final couple bosses of the game. I think at least one guide was like, hey, don't be afraid to pause mid-battle just to give your shooting finger a rest, which overly mashing in a game like this kind of kills some of the points. Like, I can't say it's amazingly designed, but it isn't terribly designed. There isn't anything about it that is, like, actively detractive or horrid about the experience. It's just okay. You do get various weapons as you take down the different bosses. They change up the gameplay a little bit. Most of the weapons, however, just function as, like, they'll pierce through enemy projectiles in fewer shots. Some of the weapons actually do have a bit of special effect. Like, the magnet missile stops enemies when it hits them, the flash stopper stops enemies completely wherever it's used for a moment, the air shooter and quick boomerang actually, like, expand your targeting reticle horizontally or vertically so they hit a little wider, but the majority of the weapons are functionally identical to your basic buster, they just happen to deal, like, slightly more damage on average, or, like, a ton more damage if used against a specific boss, it's really kind of a letdown. But that's what playing this game is like. You do some cutscenes, you maybe get a couple decisions in there, eventually this leads into a fight with enemies or a boss, repeat. And do this for about an hour and a half to two hours, and you've finished the game. Simple enough, right? Alright, let's get into how cracked this story is. The story of Super Adventure Rockman begins 
with mysterious runes rising out of the jungle in South America one day and generating a powerful electromagnetic field that makes it impossible for people to approach. This game is supposedly set sometime after one of the Mega Man games when Wily's spoilers faking, turning over a new leaf. And so he's like, listen, there's clearly something going on out here. Maybe it's something we can use to the benefit of mankind. Let me go make amends. I'll drive out there and go on foot and risk myself to find out what's going on. A couple weeks after Wily leaves on this expedition, however, all of a sudden powerful electric magnetic waves start emanating from the runes and affecting the whole world. This causes Roll to start collapsing because apparently she's extremely sensitive to it. Basically puts Roll on her deathbed, and I mean literally like hooked up to machines barely able to talk deathbed. Dr. Light determines that like electronics are starting to fail all over the world and stuff. The world's entering a state of crisis because also these electromagnetic waves are powerful enough to be harmful to humans. Dr. Wily shows up on the television. This game is really arbitrary about what electronics are or not getting affected by these waves. Dr. Wily shows up and says, hey, the world needs to surrender to me within the next two weeks or you're all cooked. Now, of course, Mega Man and Dr. Light are not going to stand for this, especially with Roll's life on the line, but really all life on the line. So Dr. Light gives Mega Man, Beat, and Rush uh, treatment that will protect them from electromagnetic radiation and sends them off to go find out what Dr. Wily's scheme was and what's going on in the rooms. And yes, he gave the same treatment to Beat and Rush, so we actually get to see a ton of these two characters animated and fighting alongside Mega Man and stuff in the FMVs. Especially Beat. This is by far Beat's biggest role in any of the games. He is around constantly, whereas Rush almost just gets forgotten most of the time. Anyway, Mega Man takes a flight out to the Amazon, and this is where our game begins. The majority of the sections from here on out are largely filler material where you are jumping between encounters with enemies and the different robot masters from Mega Man 2 and 3, who are back all of a sudden. If you lose to most of the robot masters in this game, you will actually get rescued by one of the robot masters from 1, who canonically were built by Dr. Light. So in Super Adventure Rockman's time, they've been rebuilt and are actually allies to Mega Man, which is kind of neat. But after these rescues, you do, interestingly, have a choice to either fight again, in which case you get fully healed and you can just go at this fight as many times as you want, or I think as many times as you want, I never lost more than once. Or you can choose to have Mega Man give up, in which case, hmm... We'll come back to that. But that's what fills out the majority of this. Now, there is a couple other interesting things that do happen in Episode 1. One is that we get our first piece of the backstory, which is that Dr. Wily made it to the center of the runes and the temple and stumbled upon its secret by falling through a trap into its underground area, which is a giant orb machine that honestly looks like it's a Kirby final boss or something. When he takes out his laptop, this machine like extends cords and seizes control of his laptop and introduces its as the supercomputer ROM Moon. It says that it came to Earth 20,000 years ago and it has been waiting for, you know, somebody worthy. And so Wiley's like, well, now, opportunity to take over the world, you say? That's all the backstory that we get in episode one. Episode one's climactic event is that we get challenged by Quick Man. Win or lose, Mega Man kind of gets his 
face beat in by Quickman. But it's because he's trying to reason with Quickman and be like, hey, we have to stop Dr. Wily. Like, you're in danger if Dr. Wily's plan succeeds. It's going to screw up all robots and all humans. This makes Quickman hesitate, and he doesn't, like, pull the trigger, so to speak. And then Shadowman shows up, and he's like, well, what are you waiting for? If you won't do it, I will do it. And Quickman jumps in the way of Shadowman's attack to actually save Mega Man. We fight Shadowman, and then we basically watch Quickman die. Um... Quickman's critically injured, and he tells Mega Man, I think something is going on. I think Dr. Wily's being manipulated. You need to save him. And then Quickman dies. The second episode literally opens up with Mega Man standing over a grave that he made for Quickman, which, huh. Uh, relatedly, we're going to find out during episode two from Woodman, who's really mad about it, that apparently Mega Man straight up killed Shadow Man here, too. Supposedly, robots have cores that make them who they are, and if those cores are destroyed, that's it. Like, the robot can't even be reassembled or anything, it's gone. I don't know, this game has a whole bunch of weird lore. It also establishes that the way that Mega Man drinks E-Tanks, it's not like a can of soda or anything. He literally, like, slots his buster into it like it's a syringe or something and just shoop. That was weird to see, let me tell you. Anyway, Disc 2 is largely us having arrived at the runes and traversing through it and fighting a whole bunch more robot masters. At the beginning of Disc 2, there's a couple quick time events that aren't like for danger or anything, but do lead to Mega Man finding additional items, and you really don't want to miss these, because the second one gives you Proto Man Shield as a weapon. Yeah, Proto Man shows up here. He's just he's just here to randomly assist us because of course he is. The Proto Man Shield makes it so that you have access to your basic buster, including its charge functionality, which is already a weapon good enough to take down most of the bosses, but also makes it so that any damage that you take is equivalent to one damage, no matter how powerful the incoming attack was. It's almost certainly the most busted thing in this game by a large margin and makes the rest of the game, I want to say easier, but it's more like doable, honestly, sometimes. Anyway, while we don't have a whole lot of interesting story to go through here, we do get to find out about what's going on underneath the temple. Dr. Wily is busy using Raw Moon's, like, supercomputing to develop and finish up a new super robot, which he's calling Raw Thor, which is basically, like, a faceless, just kind of humanoid robot with, like, I really want to say, like, Egyptian-style patterning over him, kind of. Hard to describe, doesn't really matter too much, but basically he's Mega Man, but in Raw Moon's aesthetic. I guess I'll say. We also get to find out what Raw Moon exactly is, sort of, in that we get a whole sequence where we see Raw Moon falling down to Earth 20,000 years ago. People worshipped it, thinking it was a god fallen from the heavens. Then one person went up and touched it and gained great power and knowledge. While Raw Moon had gifted this human intelligence and power to try to start a civilization, that kind of succeeded, and the humans built a pyramid and stuff. Seriously here, aliens pyramids. God damn it. But also, people weren't advanced enough to achieve whatever Ramun's goal was, and they tended to use that power and intellect to go to war with other civilizations in the area. And eventually, Ramun got fed up with this and just caused a giant quake that caused the temple to sink under the ground. Why he's come back up right now, who knows? 
At the end of the episode, we take on Gemini Man. Wily tries to taunt us about what's going on, but the moment that Mega Man's like, hey, listen, if you kill everybody on the planet, you're going to rule the world, but it'll be a dead world. There won't be people or robots or anything. The moment Mega Man tries to start explaining this, the communication gets cut off between them by Raw Moons interfering. It tries to pretend it's camera error. At this point, if you haven't caught on what's going on, like, that's on you. But... That does bring us to disc 3, where we start actually exploring the inside of the Moon Temple, which is mostly just time for traps and adventures and stuff. In the outside world, the countries have basically no power and people are getting sick and they realize there's nothing they can do. They can't even send in the army because the waves are so powerful they're causing, like, helicopters to crash and stuff. And so the world actually agrees to surrender to Wily, sending out a communication to him, but it doesn't arrive at Wily. We work our way through as Mega Man, deal with a whole bunch of traps and more robot masters, including Hardman, whose glorious attack on us is to literally just try to, like, dive bomb us head first and then he gets stuck in the temple rock. It's kind of fun. <laughs> but eventually, one way or another, Mega Man collapses because he's out of energy. He wakes up to find himself tied up straight up Jesus style crucified in the center of the pyramid surrounded by Wily and his robots and Wily brags and introduces Raw Moon and Mega Man tries again to convince Dr. Wily like hey listen this needs to stop or everybody's gonna die. Wily's like what are you talking about? Raw Moon's under my control. All this electromagnetic radiation is his doing. The moment I tell him he'll stop. Anyway everybody go kill Mega Man and before anybody does finish off Mega Man Raw Moon attacks all the robot masters. To Dr. Wily's credit, the moment that he realizes he was being used by Raw Moon, he jumps ship over to Mega Man's side pretty much immediately. An interesting thing that he says here is that he's not interested in ruling over a dead world. He wants to rule over the world as it is now. And also he mentions that he loves his robotic creations. He loves his robots and he doesn't want them gone either. Which is like probably the only direct sentimentality Wily has shown for his creations at this point. And I was listening to the dialogue. My understanding of Japanese is rudimentary. And he does actually use the word for love. Anyway... Raw Moon takes control of Raw Thor because, surprise, but we do manage to defeat it and stuff, and Wily's like, okay, well, that was easy, now we just gotta destroy Raw Moon. And Raw Moon's like, nope, and it turns out Raw Moon had a whole backup plan. See, the real reason that Raw Moon existed and came to Earth, because apparently Raw Moon is like millions of years old and from an entirely different solar system, maybe even an entirely different galaxy, Raw Moon was sent out from that location and basically is designed to replicate itself and start a whole new civilization that will become super advanced robots and eventually move on to travel out to different planets. Ramun tried to use humans in the past to achieve its goals because it is, unfortunately, it is an orb. It can't really do anything on its own. And so it tried to use humanity, but humanity 20,000 years ago was too primitive to be able to create robots. Now Raw Moon's been able to use Dr. Wily's knowledge and resources to create robots and has created the first of his own perfect ideal servants, not limited by human understanding of robots. That perfect servant is basically a Raw Moo pattern version of the Yellow Devil, which serves as our final boss. One way or another, we do manage to defeat it. 
Mega Man decides to pull a new move out of his arsenal out of literally nowhere and charges two Mega Busters at once. This causes the whole temple to collapse. We just kind of have a good laugh about it while Dr. Wily escapes on a flying scooter. And it's a happy ending and roll credits for the third time. By the way, there's a credit sequence after every single one of these discs. But that's it. That's the story of Super Adventure Rock. Before we do the wrap-up on this game, I'm going to discuss the music and stuff. I'm doing it first because I don't have three tracks to highlight this time. And that's because it's almost impossible to find a goddamn soundtrack to this game, largely because this game was scored as opposed to having a more traditional, just, background music. What you've been hearing is just about the entirety of the music that exists in this game as actual looped music. Everything else is just background to the animated cutscenes that are playing. And I don't know if it's an emulation error or if it's just specific to the Saturn release of this game, but there isn't a theme playing on the title screen, and there's one battle theme for all the action segments, and that's it. Like, (laughs) the silence is particularly notable because everything in the action sequences has to slam out voices. Like, voice clips will restart over and over and over and over and over again really fast, Whenever an enemy gets shot, or whenever they're firing a projectile, which sometimes they fire projectiles like five or six times in quick succession, but they have to shout out the name of the attack. Like, dear lord, the action sequences in this game are noisy in a really bad way. Otherwise, the music throughout the cutscenes and stuff is okay. It's fairly typical of, like, 90s tier anime in that it's really forgettable and really following certain cliche tones, but it's functional. The other major thing that I want to talk about before I give my overall thoughts and impressions is the canon status of this game. Because this game isn't really considered part of the classic timeline canon. It's been expressed by people who worked on the game that they weren't happy with it. Partially for gameplay reasons, but also partially Keiji Inafune, who I haven't brought up until this point because I really don't like talking about this dude. Inafune cited that he regretted making this game because its tone did not fit classic Mega Man. It was too dark. Listen, a lot of people will point to like Mega Man X or ZX or Zero or other Mega Man series is also being very, very dark. Robots have died in the Mega Man games before, the Mega Man X series at least. So, like, dark isn't anything new to Mega Man, but it kind of is to classic Mega Man. The whole Mega Man potentially have killed Dr. Wily at the end of 7, I genuinely feel was almost more Mega Man X popularity seeping its way back into the classic games, because it's not something that happens again or is brought up again in the later Mega Man games. Mega Man's classic continuity is almost like Saturday morning cartoonish, like, no matter what happens, everybody's gonna walk away and laugh it off. We'll do this again next week. In this game... Yes, there are really fun and comedic scenes to it that absolutely fit. There's a scene where, like, you literally stumble in a cavern across a family of Metars having a traditional dinner, with even one of the Metars having, like, a little pacifier because it's a baby Metar. You don't fight them. Mega Man and them just kind of, like, 
lock eyes and then Mega Man's like, huh, and then just moves on. And there's no point to it, and it's just there for fun. So there is there is some joy in this game. But also, straight up, Quick Man canonically dies and Mega Man buries him. Mega Man kills Shadow Man. Certain bosses, I did mention that sometimes you'll be saved if you are defeated by certain bosses. Other bosses like Gemini Man will straight up execute Mega Man as the game over sequence. After the Hard Man fight, which was pretty comedic, there's an acid trap that gets sprung, and we see the, like, junk remains of Hard Man start to get eaten up by a giant pool of acid. Like, excuse me? And that doesn't even go into what happens if we choose to give up at any point. We get a sequence where we actually watch Roll die, for real, and Mega Man and Dr. Light cry into each other's arms over it, and then we zoom out to watch the world end. That's the bad ending of this game. And like, yes, we can say that like, it's understood that like, there was a sad ending to Mega Man World 4 and 5 with Belade and Sunstar having to die. There are darker tones to the Mega Man series where it's understood that like, despite the laws of robotics, some of the chaos Dr. Wily's robots are causing is probably causing people to die. Like, that is understood implicitly in the background. But there is a big difference, I think, between that implicit understanding existing in the background and the explicit understanding that is gained when that stuff is shown on screen and we're forced to watch it. And that, I think, is what marks this game as so out of place sometimes in classic Mega Man. In this, we're forced to pay attention to it. And, man. Anyway, how do I feel about Super Adventure Rockman? It's not the disaster of a game that I think most people make it out to be. It is a fully playable game. It is kind of entertaining and interesting to play through the first time. Like, it is a more competent game than, say, Mega Man Soccer or arguably really the Mega Man DOS games. It's not bad, but also it is a single experience game. They tried to give some branching stuff that might pretend you have some replay value. You really don't. And that means that in comparison to a vast amount of the rest of the Mega Man series, this game doesn't fit. Mega Man has always had that replayability and that variability on every playthrough as a major strength, and Super Adventure Rockman has none of that. Plus, while it does have its interesting combat moments, a lot of it does end up boiling down to a whole lot of heavy button mashing, and that's not terribly fun either. <sighs> Anyway, given this game's reputation, I was expecting vastly worse, but I still don't think it's a great game. If you want to experience this game for yourself, there is a YouTube user by the name of Windy Gitlord, that's sure a name, but you know how usernames are, who, just a couple months ago, as of the recording of this episode, actually released a full set of the cutscenes of these games, upscaled significantly so that they look generally much smoother, and it's all subtitled, so there is a full English translation more or less available of this game. You don't get to see every single cutscene, but for the most part, you get a full playthrough of the game, and you get to see this ridiculous story on its own. And honestly, I'm willing to say that's probably how you should just experience this one if you really want to. Anyway, that about does it for Super Adventure Rockman. Our next episode will be our 25th episode, that makes it our anniversary, and I think I remember at the end of the last episode mentioning that the anniversary game was going to be Mega Man X4. That's right, the game with the quote that is this podcast's name.
I'm really glad it kind of worked out such that I didn't have to skip it for more than a couple episodes before we can go back to it. It's time. Please look forward to it. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed the episode, feel free to hit me up at whatamipodcastingfor at gmail.com. Stop by Twitter at whatamipodcast4, as in the number 4. Stop by waipf.podbean.com if you need the RSS feed or anything. Thanks for listening. I've been Garlisle, and just remember, Robot Masters actually die in this game. For real. And it's implied to be a heck of a lot more permanent than Mega Man X ever had.